0: Angered is a production of the Classic Learning Test, based in Annapolis, Maryland. Reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Hello, and welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're joined by Christy Scheip. Christy Scheip has been involved in teaching debate for the past 20 years. She worked with the Homeschool Legal Defense Association to start a debate league for homeschool students during her college years. After graduating with a degree in political science, HSLDA grew into the National Christian Forensics and Communications Association, a national speech and debate league for Christian students. She is the author of three debate textbooks. She and her husband, Rich, pastor of Harvest Church Communities, are the homeschooling parents of five children. If this is your first time listening to us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Anchored is. This is a podcast where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on issues at the intersection of education and culture. We appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to Anchored at CLTExam.com. Now, without any further ado, let's get on with the conversation.
1: Welcome back to the Anchored Podcast, the official podcast of the classic learning test here today with Christy Scheip. Christy has been involved in teaching debate for the past 20 years. She is the founder of the National Christian Forensics and Communications Associations, a national speech and debate league for Christian students. She's also a homeschooling parent of five. Christy, welcome. Thanks for being here.
2: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: Uh, great. We'd love to start off here talking about your early education. Were you uh, homeschooled yourself growing up?
2: I was, yes. I went to uh, Christian school for kindergarten and first grade, but then starting in second grade, I was homeschooled all the way.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So tell me about like th- how your parents came to that decision because th- this would still be kind of the early days, I guess, of homeschooling. Yes. Was it the 90s or? It was
2: 1982.
1: No kidding. Okay. Wow. So like the really early days. of It
2: was like the first wave. Yeah. We didn't know anyone else who was homeschooling at the time, but wow. um, my dad was on a radio broadcast and yeah. another one of the guests was talking about this concept of homeschooling, Dr. Raymond Moore. I don't know if you've heard of mm. him. Um, and my mother actually had a teaching degree. That was her degree from college And we were already experiencing when I went to first grade, like I was crying every morning when I would leave. I didn't want to leave my family. My mom was crying. She didn't want me to leave. (laughs) She was missing out all those special um, moments throughout Mm. the day. And so when my dad came back from that radio interview with this new concept, they both were very excited to try it out.
1: Wow. 1982. I mean, they've got to have some stories for what it was like back then because they probably told people and they're like, you're doing what? Like, oh, yeah. Really, totally.
2: Yeah. yeah. Weird stares and questions everywhere you go. Like we did try to kind of avoid going out during the school hours of the day because, you know, sometimes you'd even get some hostile responses.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, are you out sick or like, what are you doing? Because you're yep. not cool. Okay. So do you, and do you also know some second kind of second generation homeschoolers? I mean, uh, it's seems like we're just now starting to get a a, a growing group of people who were homeschooled themselves and now they have kids and they're doing it as well.
2: Yes. I do know some people like that. Of course I am one of them myself and, um, most of my siblings, I believe there's 10 of us in the family. So (laughs) we come from a, a huge family. I'm the oldest, um, and then, yeah, most of my siblings are doing it and some of them, you know, cause there's a, a large age gap. Some of them are in that more second generation where like their oldest child is now in first grade. Um, I personally have graduated. My three oldest are in college. Um, so I'm kind of that front end of the second wave.
0: Wow. wow. Yeah. My, my dad actually, he's one of 10 siblings as well. And then I'm, From like a like a family of five siblings in total, so big family. I definitely relate to that. Um, And then I wanted to talk to you about you attended Cedarville University. Um, What was that experience like? Going from like being homeschooled to a university, what did you notice was different? Well, it was really only little things that were
2: different. Um, My parents prepared me very well for the educational aspect of college, so they did a fantastic job i was ready for all of the academic work but it was just little things like getting used to sitting in a classroom and picking your chair you know like i had never done that before i didn't realize that people don't usually move around i decided i'll move around and like sit somewhere different every class and get to know everyone well the teachers hated that <laughs> And then, you know, like filling out a Scantron, things like that, I'd never done. But it was really just small adjustments. I um, I really enjoyed my college experience.
1: Then, when did you get involved in uh, HSLDA, the work that they're doing there?
2: So it was actually born out of my college experience that that all happened. Um, mm-hmm. My dad is actually the founder of HSLDA. So I have a connection automatically yeah. to that. Um, but it was in college that I first had the opportunity to join a debate team. There was nothing like that available to homeschool students in those days. Um, So I hadn't had that experience in high school. But my dad had been telling me all along, like, he's an attorney. So I get this, you know, naturally, but he's like, you're a natural born debater, you need to join the debate team. So it was at Cedarville that I joined the debate team. And out of that experience, my dad said, we really need to bring this to homeschool students. Mm-hmm. So HSLDA hired me um, in my junior year of college mm. to start a debate league for homeschool students through their organization.
1: That's great. We actually had Mike Ferris on the podcast uh, not too long ago, maybe just a couple months ago, and really, really enjoyed that conversation with him as well.
2: Oh, that's great.
1: Um, fantastic. And then talk to us about the debate. Did you uh, did you do debate as a homeschooler yourself growing up? Uh, did you always love doing it?
2: Um, Well, we debated around the kitchen table plenty, my family, but um, no, there was no opportunities to learn formal debate. I had never taken a debate class. The first debate class that I took was in college, and then I joined the debate team and competed for three years at Cedarville on um, doing policy debate and value debate. Okay,
1: okay. Amazing. And then uh, tell us about where you you started up uh, post Cedarville in terms of the debate at uh, HSLDA.
2: Sure. So um, in my junior year, we started off by I wrote a very short kind of textbook to just explain to high school students like what is debate Mm -hmm. and give them some instruction. We sent that out to all of the state leaders around the country Um, And then we hosted a national championship that spring and we actually saved the final round until the fall when we could showcase the final debate at the Mm. national leadership conference that HSLDA holds every year. It's a, it's a really large national event and really it sells itself. When the Mm. national leaders saw these high school students debating like serious policy they were, they loved it. They fell in love with it. And it just started growing very, very quickly.
1: So explain, can you kind of unpack the, the connection with debate and homeschooling? Because it seems, you know, just and, and I've never been part of the debate world. we were just homeschooling for the past four years. And now we, we've got our kids back at a classical Catholic school. Um, but it seems like the homeschooling kids are just killing it on the debate floor. Mm-hmm. I, I keep hearing this, like any debate is like all the homeschool kids are just running the place. What What is the connection there?
2: I think it's probably about the kind of people that are attracted to homeschooling um, and also probably the fact that they can get that one-on-one style Mm -hmm. of education. Um, But it's really doing well in debate is really about doing well with logic, analysis, um, of course, communication. And a lot of homeschoolers also um, do it, you know, following a classical model, which I think Mm -hmm. helps. Um, When you learn formal logic, you know, like how many high schools or middle schools are teaching formal logic, but a lot of homeschoolers are really into that. And so the groundwork is already laid. If you've Mm. done some of that more classical style education, Um, then you're really well equipped for debate.
1: So I I have a theory on this and I want to I want to get your take. So, you know, logic as I understand it, is maybe one of the oldest intellectual disciplines going back to Socrates and and even into the beginning of the 20th century, you couldn't have had a serious education apart from the study of logic, but it's totally been removed from mainstream K-12 education. Uh, Why is that in your opinion? Like what, what happened to logic in mainstream Mm -hmm. America?
2: I haven't studied that very much, but I do know that Like, this is just an inference. I can't back this up with evidence and I would need to to really prove my point. Right. As a good debater. Um, But just a guess would be, you know, a lot of the heritage of the West has fallen out of fashion recently. Mm -hmm. And um, and the focus of education has moved on to other things. And Mm -hmm. so I wonder if that could be at the core of it.
1: It's a very kind way. uh, It It seems like the study of logic itself it it almost assumes certain realities, you know, about the the truth is objective uh, that that are no longer uh, assumed, or in fact are hotly contested. I would say Mm -hmm. by mainstream K twelve.
2: Absolutely, and it it really doesn't make any sense. You know, like um, I would assume that most educators would still extol the teachings of. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. I mean, these are the great thinkers. Why wouldn't we learn from them? And it's important, I think, for Christian students to understand that where those great Greek philosophers um, have to teach us, it's, it's really that they discovered principles that are true about the way God made human reasoning to work and persuasion to work. So those truths are not like created by man. It really isn't created by Western tradition or culture. It's mm-hmm. really created by God. And they just happen to discover the way God created
0: us to work. Right. So, so after you the HSLDA, you started or you co-founded the NCFCA. I'm wondering what the mission was there and how you were uh, thinking that knowing how to debate well would uh, prepare these young adults for the rest of their lives. Oh, yeah.
2: So the mission was really to bring these skills that debate teaches to Christian young people. That's what we're passionate about. Like our current mission, um, NCFCA mission is to challenge and equip ambassadors for Christ to communicate truth with integrity and grace. And that's really always been the mission. Um, the debate teaches so many skills that we think Christian young people need. Absolutely, they need it. And I'll just go through some of those. So with debate, you learn research how to research and analyze information. That is so important in today's world of information. That's just bombarding us. How do we know what to trust? How do we know what is true? What is reliable? Debate teaches you that and therefore keeps you from being deceived by mm-hmm. false information. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that you learn to debate is how to ground your decision making in truth, right? Once you find truth and, and you, you can ground your beliefs in facts and evidence, And that can be used too. I use it all the time in my study of scripture. My debate skills have taught me how to study the Bible and how to um, ground my decisions in the truth of scripture. It also teaches how to understand the other side. So at a debate tournament, you actually have to debate. All of our students have to debate on both sides of the resolution. Our sides are called affirmative. You affirm the resolution. Negative, you negate the resolution. Well, you have to be affirmative three times and negative three times. So you learn to see both sides of an issue, which not a lot of people are doing right now. It helps you see that other point of view. Um, It helps you anticipate the questions and objections of the other side and learn how to engage with that. Not just like yelling at people and preaching to the choir, but really engaging critically with the other side learning to communicate in a way that builds a bridge. Even Mm. with people that we don't really share much common ground with, debate teaches you how to find maybe even those small areas of common ground and build a bridge and be persuasive. Mm. Um, and, And really, like we said in our mission, we want our students to be communicating with integrity. That's the truth and grace right? The ultimate motivation for the Christian is to love God and love our neighbor. And so mm-hmm. we really want students to learn how to communicate from that place of, I love you. I love God and his truth, and I love you. And that's the heart behind mm-hmm. the communication.
1: Uh, Chrissy, you, you have this big advantage over me. So I I, 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 <laughs> I was a public school kid growing up. Uh, I did not get logic or debate training or any kind of a classical education. Uh, but my kids are, they're getting it. And so they, you know, we just had our sixth kiddo and, uh, you know, they'll say, I'm making my argument. And they'll say, that that's a circular argument. I, say, I don't care what it is. I'm your dad, you're not going to the summer party. That's it I mean, that's, that's an appeal <laughs> that's to authority trump
2: card. That's a valid trump card. Yeah. That, well,
1: that's an appeal to authority. I'm like, man you know how to argue now that you're getting this kind of education. Um, how How has it though, like with your own kid as getting this education, you got this rich education. How do you feel like it impacts the relationship, the relationship that you have with them that you' that they have with each other?
2: Well, you really do have to be careful. I won't lie. You have to be careful not to get into arguments for argument's sake and try to use your skills for selfish reasons to manipulate people and all of that. Um, It's possible to do that. Debate is just a tool, right? It's, it's just a tool. It can be used for good or it can be used for evil. So we really have to always also address the heart and it, you know, I have, kids who have been really natural debaters some of them very successful um, and so we've gotten into some heated debates over the years but relationally we always have to bring it back to that heart of love for one another and that the way you say something is as important as what you say so you have to bring as a Christian you really have to bring scripture in to bear uh, it's not just pure debate skills it's also, it's regulated by scripture and by that relationship of love and respect mm. that we need to have
0: with people.
1: Amen. Love that.
0: Yeah. Christy, I love that you're talking about the fact that debate has a lot to do with loving one another, that you can't really debate someone if you're coming from a place of hatred. But I think we see that a lot nowadays where people aren't really even interested in debating one another because they don't really believe that they need to love the other person or they don't respect the other person's opinions. Um how do you how do you bridge that gap i guess i'm asking or how do you teach your students that in order to debate well you need to have respect for the other person's opinion as well yeah
2: well we emphasize that in all of our teaching it's in all of our literature but even more so it's emphasized by um the type of judges that we have so we invite members of the community parents just anyone to come and judge not debate experts. Uh, So our goal is to train students to be able to speak to the common man, right? We're we're not trying to just um, train a skill that's so, you know, obtuse that nobody can understand it. (laughs) So we bring in the common person off the street to judge. And those people are a great regulator of the type of communication they hear in the round. Um, We really encourage them to take points off if the students were rude. We actually have rules about that. Like if uh, rude or abusive behavior in the round can get you automatic loss or even disqualified from the competition. So we encourage our judges judges to watch out for that. And it really has worked well. Um, You know, students are debating in front of a judge who's watching them and they know that the judge is looking for that kind of behavior. So that really helps. But we do have to keep reinforcing it constantly because it is a constant temptation.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it must be a very strange loving debate, teaching debate, coaching debate and then watching presidential debates. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are they even debates? Like regardless of who you like or don't like. Like could they get any worse? Have we hit rock bottom? <laughs>
2: it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And and technically, yeah, they don't really give the moderators don't give a chance for the two candidates or multiple candidates to cross-examine each other and interact with each other. Mm. And in academic debate, you do that. So you're you're Mm -hmm. directly answering each other. There's not a moderator, in other words, in academic debate. And Mm. you get to cross-examine each other in academic debate. So I wish that, yeah, presidential uh, debate formats could follow the more academic debate format. I think it would be a lot more enriching
1: well and it seems like the, the purpose is different like it seems like especially with Trump like the main point is saying something that will trend on Twitter or right. just be stay in the newsreel kind of getting in those sound bites rather than like yeah d- deeply into substance
2: absolutely that's really the communication that's happening politically right now it's just um sound bites and you know to preach into the choir just to ramp up the base. There's not a lot of true persuasion going on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering, Christian, we did not put this in the notes, but I'd love to pick your brain about this. I mean, you you've got five kiddos. The oldest are in college, you said. Is that right? That's right. So you were you were kind of raising kids as during this latest kind of digital revolution with smartphones coming out and all of the crazy toxic social platforms and everything. Um what has that been like navigating that? Like when, you know, how did you go about deciding when your kiddos would get a phone? Can you what advice would you have for parents, especially young parents listening?
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, since we were a homeschooling family, I think it was a lot easier because my kids weren't in a situation where they're surrounded by, you know, a hundred other students with smartphones. Mm. Um, we were just at our home. So I think it was probably 16 when our oldest started driving that we got her a phone. Um, So just to be able to stay in touch, you know, uh, pay phones are a thing of the past now. (laughs) (laughs) I remember having to pull over to the side of the road and call my parents from the road that way. But um, so when when our kids started driving, we really is when we started giving them smartphones. And I think also Hmm. 16, when we allowed them to be on some social media, but not very much. I can't remember. I think it was maybe just facebook and Uh you know one of our rules was you're not allowed to be friends with anyone online that you don't know in real life Mm. that was one way and then my husband is really good with technology and so he's got you know to this day he's got all sorts of lockdowns and he can monitor everyone's screen he can monitor everyone's phone he can Mm. with his cell phone he can like turn it off their phones or. limit their time on any websites. He's got it all regulated. I, I let him do that. He's the expert.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Aruba, you, you tweeted something recently about, uh, Instagram and just how, how toxic, you know, the mm-hmm. platform is. And I, I was thinking about that with just some even statistics I've seen recently, especially with, with teenage girls and, mm-hmm. um, and we yeah. were just now becoming aware of the extent of the damage, uh, I mean, is this going to end? I mean, what, where, where is all of this going? I mean, does there need to be some kind of federal regulation? The parents just need to be more responsible in keeping it off. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Christy.
2: Yeah. I think that social media is really, it's just exacerbating the sin nature that already exists, you mm. know, within mankind. And one of the big struggles of teen girls, especially is self-image and body image. Oh, yeah. I personally struggled with it. Um, one of my daughters did as well. Like we have anorexia in our family. Um, thankfully, I don't think Instagram was really a thing back when they were in high school because I don't remember remember them being on it until mm. much later. Um, it's so amazing how technology, like in just three years, you know, something is obsolete mm. or something brand new is taken the world by storm. But um, yeah, I think that it just makes the call to parents more urgent that we're really engaging with our children's lives that we're really discipling them in the Lord. Mm. Um, you know, girls have had the struggle, like I said, for forever, Mm. and it just exacerbates it to see all those images on Instagram. So I think it's very reasonable if you're struggling with that, like Mm. you don't need Instagram, just (laughs) get rid of it. (laughs) I mean, I I don't see any reason why that would be a bad strategy for parenting. If that had been part of my daughter's struggle when we were really in the, in the thick of it with her anorexia, I would have had no trouble getting rid of it or even just taking her cell phone for a time because it's not worth it, but you have to be incredibly engaged um, with your children and discipling them in Lord. I'm not really a fan of government regulation of those things, um, but you know. I remain open to be persuaded in the future if it seems like a good idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of what my thread was about that I wrote on Twitter that me, like growing up, I was like 16 and I was on Instagram and the, the effects that it has, especially on young women, like I know men might be like, it's not that big of a deal, but for young women being um, put in front of stuff like that, that can actually give them body image issues is huge. And my parents did it too, where it was like, oh, like you can't use Instagram until you're like a certain age. Um, But I think, like you said, like they have to be even more intentional than that, because I was a little rebellious as a child. And so I would just, you know, do anything that even if my parents were like, you can't do this, go behind their back and do it anyway. Um, And so that's something that, it definitely affected me. And now I have younger sisters too. So it's like, now I, I went through it so I can kind of have a better cultural perspective of it as well, um, mm-hmm. being closer to their age. So that it kind of ties into the next question that I wanted to ask you. Can you speak on your experience being a homeschooling mother of five? Like, what did you incorporate that maybe you learned from your parents? What did you do differently? And what are some of the tips that you would have for homeschooling parents?
2: Yeah, that's a great segue because it brings me to my number one tip and passion about homeschooling, which Mm. is that you really need to use that time to disciple your children in the Lord. It's not ultimately about academics. It's ultimately about discipleship. Mm. That is it. And my parents did a great job. My mom started every school day with what she called special time. Um, It was a scripture study, memorization of scripture, prayer, worship, and was such a heritage. I mean, we did that every day, five days a week. That's how we started our school. Sometimes it would take an hour. Mm -hmm. And so we did so much scripture study. She really worked that into all of our day. And I've continued that with all of my children. That's how we start Mm -hmm. every day. I've done that for all the years of my homeschooling. Um, Sometimes with my... (laughs) Older daughters who would really get into it, we might do that for two hours just discussing scripture because they'd get so into it. Um, but that is the bottom line we want our children to learn to love God and to know His word and love His word, know how to read His word. Um, so there's nothing more important that we can teach than that. And I would say also, then when you get into the academic part of the day, and you know, you're you got to do math, you got to do english and grammar and so forth um but when your child starts having a bad attitude and acting out or there's a fight or something like that that's an opportunity for discipleship Mm -hmm. you're getting to be around them all day you're getting to see where their heart issues are and you're getting the opportunity to confront that speak into that disciple them pray with them correct it so it's easy to get caught up in like ah we just got to finish the math lesson you Mm -hmm. know but instead, I, that's my biggest advice is to stop and see it as an opportunity to disciple your child in the Lord, rather than feeling like I've got to just get these lessons done every day. Yeah.
1: yeah, That is an awesome, awesome, powerful number one tip. And I think it also puts into really sharp contrast kind of the telos or the end or the goal of mainstream K-12, you know, versus what it ought to be. Education ought to be formative. Uh, it ought to be changing hearts to, to know and love and, and serve the Lord, uh, mm-hmm. you know, rather than this this kind of college and career readiness focus. Um, Christy, question we always end Anchor Podcast with talking about about books. Uh, I'm wondering if if maybe there's been one book that is really special for you growing up as a homeschool kid that you've now that you're that you now had to have had the chance to do with your own kiddos.
2: Sure. So I am a fan of 19th century British literature. <laughs> and my favorite book, so it's actually a novel. My favorite book is Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Um, So it's great just as a work of art, but I love it because of the moral dilemma that it presents. And I have done this with my kids who are now in college. Um, We did this in high school, but it presents this moral dilemma for Jane where she has to choose between a very tempting situation and standing for, and it actually says this in the book, I went and looked up the quote again, The law of God is what she says. Is she going to stand and obey the law of God or is she going to, you know, go this way of temptation? I love her speech at that moment in the book about you have to stick to your principles in the moment of temptation. When the fire is running in your veins, she says, right? But that's the time that you stand on the principles and you don't rethink your ideals at that moment. We so often do that so that we can rationalize our sin, right? But those moments of temptation are the moments to plant our feet in those moral principles that we've already decided ahead of time is true and just stick to them. So I love that book because it really brings that out. And it's it also is just a great book about what it really means to be a Christian. There's several different contrasts between different people who call themselves Christian. Um, but then true Christianity, what is that? That's a strong theme throughout the whole book.
0: Oh, you're on mute, Jeremy.
1: Yes. Okay. So 19th century uh British literature. Um, I'm just now honestly for the first time doing Pride and Prejudice and about halfway done. Uh, another good one for you.
2: Yes, I love it. I love okay. that book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Uh, Again, we are here with Christy Scheib. She is the founder uh, of the National Christian Forensics and Communications Association. Christy, thanks so much for being with us today.
0: Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.